Good morning, church. This morning, I'm going to be reading Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the reading of the word. Well, being lost is no joke. I'm not referring to being lost in the city, though that can be quite frustrating. Wives, please refrain from comments about your husbands not wanting maps. I'm referring to being lost without the help of maps, GPS, roads, communications, signs, or people to help. Like being lost at sea or lost in the woods has a terrible effect on your mind and emotions, not to mention your life expectancy. In her book, Unbroken, which I know some of you have read, Laura Hillebrand describes the true story of World War II air crewman Louis Zamperini and his incredible struggle for survival after being shot down in a B-24 bomber in the Pacific Ocean in conflict with the Japanese. He and other companions would remain adrift on a raft for over six weeks in hopes of survival. Of all the obstacles that they would face, including the lack of food and water, exposure to the elements, exposure to sharks, a damaged raft, and sickness, to just name a few, perhaps the worst obstacle that they faced was the mental anxiety and the emotional turmoil of the realization that they were lost at sea, isolated from their own forces and family and adrift in enemy territory. Hillebrand comments that for air crews that were shot down, there was a low probability of rescue. With every passing day adrift at sea, the prospects worsened dramatically. She goes on to comment that, now listen to this, it was common for men in these lost conditions to go insane or to commit acts of irrationality that would ultimately be their demise. Though in a much less serious situation, I'm not trying to compare the two, I personally remember being lost in the Rocky Mountains. Uh, The greatest challenge of being lost was the mental anguish from not knowing if I would ever be found or which way to go. Plays with your mind. Survival experts tell us that in the midst of being lost, our thinking can be a tumultuous sea of hopeless and desperate thoughts and emotions. Not having a sure direction for survival can be maddening. But being settled on the right and sure direction brings hope and peace. May I submit to you, brothers and sisters, the same is true for our spiritual lives. 
not having a sure direction for survival can be maddening. Thanks be to God that we as Christians have a right and sure direction. Amen? We have a right direction. The gospel is our compass heading. Christ has made a sure way. The problem is we forget. We battle spiritual, the loss of spiritual direction. We battle the spiritual drift and spiritual confusion that can often come with it. And like being lost at sea or lost in the forest, spiritual drift can be maddening. We can often feel distant from God, cut off, like my prayers just seem to be bouncing off the ceiling. Don't know if you can relate. Like waking up and wondering, am I still a Christian today? Or why would God accept me? Or should I really keep forgiving? Or should I really continue to fight this sin and and temptation? In the midst of our drift, we need to grab onto the truth that will guide us. So today our passage is a succinct and powerful truth. It's kind of like a roadmap of spiritual direction. As you heard, it's just three short verses, which will go quickly, but three verses that we want to take time with. When we get to the end of this, I hope and pray that you will see and be encouraged by this truth, which is my main theme, reconciliation and peace with God come through trusting in the work of Christ. Reconciliation and peace with God come through trusting the work of Christ. My points will be three. There's two truths and then one charge. Two truths and then one admonition. There's things in here for both the Christian and the non-Christian. If you're here today and you're not sure about your relationship with Christ, please listen in. There's points in here that talk about where you are in life as well. For the Christian, this passage exhorts us to remember our position in Christ and to press into faith. The three points we're going to take a look at are this. First, our true condition apart from Christ is lost, alienated, and enemies of God. Our true condition as members of Christ, rescued, reconciled, children of God. And our challenge as children of God is to keep believing the gospel. Point number one, apart from Christ, we're lost, alienated, and enemies of God. If you look down at verse 21. Well, let me start at verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Verse 21. And you, speaking to Christians, who once were alienated and hostile in mind. Keep that in the back of your mind. One of my favorite hymns, and perhaps yours, is the famous song, Amazing Grace. There are many wonderful lines that John Newton put into that song. Newton was inspired to write, 
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The next words are particularly relevant to what we're talking about. I once was lost and now am found, was blind and now I see. Newton describes his life outside of Christ as lost, blind. Those are good descriptions, spiritually speaking, before we came to faith in Christ. We were wandering, looking for satisfaction and fulfillment in things that ultimately could not satisfy, could not clearly see the problem, nor could we see the cure. Had God not given us sight and direction, we would have continued in our sin and blindness. But there's more to this story. Verse 21 says that you were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Our text uses the word alienated. You who once were alienated. Some commentators use estranged. And then it goes on to say, and hostile. Hostile. Openly opposed and resisting. The Bible makes clear that before we came to Christ, there was a hostile separation between us and God. There was an estrangement. So let's be clear about one thing. The estrangement that takes place between those who are outside of Christ is not just a gentle disagreement. It's not just a temporary squabble or spat. The estrangement is such that we were enemies of God. Dare I say, we were at war. There was a declared hostility on the part of us and, worse, on the part of God. And God's hostility towards us was due to our sin and our rebellion. Our sin is assault, is an assault on his holy character. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 say this. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. There was a separation due to our sin. We all have demonstrated from time to time that we refuse to do God's will and instead choose to do our own. We seek not to build his kingdom, but to build our own. Think of that. We who are human, sinful, Infallible creation have declared to a holy, perfect, and divine creator that we will not do his will. It's as if we said to God, we raised our fist and said, no, I will not do your will. Friends, when we do that, we commit as what theologians say as cosmic treason, cosmic treason. And because that cosmic treason, we were marked as enemies of God. 
and as enemies of God, having committed offense against his holy character, we were due a penalty and a punishment. No just sweeping it under the rug. No just ignoring it. No just letting bygones be bygones. A cosmic injustice had been committed for which a cosmic penalty had to be paid. So verse 21 takes us to the depths of the human problem of sin and rebellion towards God. It's not just that we as humans need a good plan. It's not that we need just a good government. It's not that we just need to make sure that we are living morally. It's not just to make sure that, for example, we have the best schools or the best things for our children or the best job or the best retirement plan. The problem we have is our estrangement with God and our sin and our alienation and estrangement from God are the problem. Friends, before we came into relationship with Christ, we were desperately lost and we were in enemy territory, just like Louis Zamperini. Thanks be to God, that's not the end of the story. Amen? There is a verse 22. Point two, as members of Christ, we are rescued, reconciled, and children of God. Verse 22 encapsulates the good news of the gospel. Listen in. And you who once were alienated, 22, he has now reconciled. We could stop there. He has reconciled in his body by his death. Thanks be to God, he has done that. But there's a purpose. There's a purpose why he has reconciled. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Friends, do you see the incredible good news of that? Do you see that you were reconciled and he has made you blameless, holy, and above reproach? I've heard it said this way. You will never be more righteous than you are today. Going to heaven isn't going to make you more righteous. It's going to remove the temptation and sin. But the righteousness that we need to approach Christ, he has already given. Is that not good news? There was alienation. There was hostility. There was separation. There was division, yet by his sacrifice, and it is a sacrifice of incredible love, he brought restoration. He made enemies friends. He's invited us to his table. I love the scripture of John three sixteen. It reminds us of the incredible love and mercy of God. For God so loved the world who were enemies that he gave. It's all about his giving and his doing, his son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal 
life. What amazing love. Our reconciliation was performed by God himself. And it came through the sacrifice and cost of his son. God crushed his son, perfect and holy, to bring our restoration. Oh, the love of God. 1 Peter 2.24 says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The healing that has taken place is the separation with God. By his wounds you have been healed. Healed is past tense. Reconciled is past tense. Brothers and sisters, we have been reconciled with a holy God that needs to affect us daily. 2 Corinthians 5.21, another one of my favorite scriptures. For our sake, for our sake, he made him, holy Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God placed upon Christ our sin and then the penalty that our sin deserved so that we could walk free, so that we could be friends. Through the propitiatory work of Christ, which I just described, big theological word, through the work of Christ, we have been forgiven all our sins. We have been healed of the separation between us and God. We've been rescued from wrath and punishment that was rightly ours. We've been given the status of beloved children and are accounted blameless and above reproach. I'm saying that again. Through the work of Christ, we've been forgiven all our sins. Not one remains unforgiven. We've been healed of the separation between us and God. We've been rescued from the wrath, punishment that was rightly ours. We've been given the status of beloved children, accounted righteous. It's definitely something to celebrate. So therefore, as his beloved children, with whom there is no separation, rightly, Hebrews 4.16 is something we need to remember. Let us, therefore, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Let us draw near to the throne of grace. Daily, moment by moment, that we might find help. Do you ever need help? Do you ever need grace? Do you ever need direction? Approach the throne of God. Just the term approaching the throne of a holy God puts in our minds a sense of wow, as it should. It also should put in our hearts a sense of praise as we approach but God awaits. And yet, brothers and sisters, 
Let me ask you a question. Are we confident to run back to him in the midst of our failings or after we've failed? Do you believe that he accepts us and loves us when we have sinned, when we have failed? There's times when we feel adrift. We feel failings and anxieties and troubles and difficulties. There's times that we stumble and fall. We're often disoriented with our identity and direction. In the midst of those things, we must remember our redemption. We must remember what he has done. He has made a perfect plan. God has caused our redemption. There's a reason why we have that cross up here. It's a signpost. It points us to his work of redemption, not our performance. So as members of Christ, we are rescued, reconciled, and children of God. Point number three, as children of God, keep believing the gospel. Verse 23 says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, there is an admonition. There's an encouragement. There's a provocation here for each of us, both if you are a Christian and if you are a non-Christian. If you're here and you're not sure about your relationship with Christ, please understand that this verse is a warning to you. There is a consequence for ignoring your separation from God. Recall that outside of Christ, you are alienated from God as an enemy. And so I want to strongly encourage you, please open your heart to him. Please open your heart to the truth of the gospel. Please listen that you were created for him to glorify him. And he has come in the form of a man and given his life to give you faith. For those who are Christians, for us who are living in relationship with Jesus, verse 23 gives us a challenge. And the challenge is this. Keep on walking. Keep on going. Continue in the faith. Keep on keeping on. Keep fighting the fight. Keep going. Continue. Don't quit. Keep going. And let me be clear here. I do not believe that this verse is saying that you can lose your faith or that uh, you can lose your salvation. I believe that you would have to ignore many other scriptures and contexts for that. However, I do believe that we can become disillusioned, distracted, discouraged. I know personally that my heart can become dull and caught up with the cares of life. That can and does sideline us. It gets us off the path. So verse 23 teaches that there is a requirement of faith. Faith requires proactive and deliberate exercise. You must, Christian, exercise your faith. My pastor years ago used to say that when the great preacher C.H. Spurgeon felt like he was wandering or lost, 
He would make a beeline, a direct line for the cross. In short, he would quickly recall the truths of the gospel. I think that's pretty good advice. So my question is, what is your beeline to the cross? What is it that you turn to to recall the gospel? Brothers and sisters, there is so much to consider. The gospel states that through the work of Christ on the cross, God has reconciled you to himself. You are his child. You're safe in his care. He's daily attending to your needs. You are forgiven of all your sins. They're washed away by the blood of Christ. In Christ, you have the standing and righteous name. All that you need, he will provide. You are marked as his son or daughter, and he hears your prayers. You will one day see him face to face. The most important problem of your life has been solved, and those are just a few of the truths that come through understanding the gospel. The truth is that believing them can set you free. Unfortunately, ignoring them, assuming them, or forgetting them also has consequence. And so verse 23 admonishes us to remember them, to put them into our thinking daily. So let me ask you a few questions for consideration. Are you daily trusting wholeheartedly in the truths of the gospel? If so, what truth most strengthens you? Could you say it right now if asked? Are you speaking to your own heart and challenging your heart to trust the word of God? What are you trusting him for? How would you evaluate your current level of hope and trust in the gospel? Take your trust temperature. Are you hot or cold? And lastly, has your hope shifted? Meaning, has any form of anxiety or difficulty caused you to doubt his ability or purpose or care for you? Have the cares of life taken you away from being set on trusting these truths? Has any form of excitement or entertainment or current philosophy caused you to turn aside from a passionate pursuit and appreciation of his gracious sacrifice? Friends, our walk of faith requires proactive, deliberate exercise. And verse 23 calls us to apprehend, exercise, and apply the good news of the gospel. So as we conclude, what a banquet of truth we have in these verses, what direction they give to us. Apart from Christ, we're lost, alienated, and enemies of God. As members of Christ, we're rescued, reconciled, and children of God. And as children of God, we must keep believing the gospel. But if we're honest, we all have moments when we fall short of trusting him. We give in to fears and desires and look to other things to bring hope, peace, and strength. And when we do, we, like the lost soldier adrift at sea, can become disillusioned disoriented, and at time faithless. But the gospel gives us direction and hope. Isaiah 26, 3 says, you keep him in perfect peace 
whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. It is always right to trust him. Who is more trustworthy? It's always right to trust him. It's a great peace. Friends, if we're going to seek to be obedient to the scripture today, to not, as it says, shift from the hope of the gospel, remember who you are in Christ. Remember who you were outside of Christ. And remember that his character of love was expressed in the cross, never changes. I close with this, and please hear the heart of your father from Psalm 145. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You're, you open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. When you are lost or drifting, remember your Savior who lives and reigns and who has reconciled you to himself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the incredible news and the truth that you have reconciled us to yourself, that now we are your children. Now we can approach you with confidence to find mercy and grace to help. Father, thank you. Lord, we give all honor and praise to you. Lord, help us to diligently apply and apprehend the truths of the gospel and apply them to our daily lives. Help us to ask the question, am I trusting Christ? And help us to trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.